Episode 134 of the PJ Archive is a phone interview I did with the great English actor Ian Carmichael, who in a career of over 70 years worked prolifically on stage, screen and radio. He's best remembered for films such as Private's Progress, I'm Alright Jack and School for Scoundrels and for playing Bertie Wooster in the 1960s TV series The World of Wooster, and the gentleman detective Lord Peter Whimsey in the 1970s. Ian died in 2010 at the age of 89. This interview took place in early 2003, when he was back starring on British television as a hospital secretary in ITV's period medical drama The Royal. What was it about the Royal that made you want to work on it? Well, primarily because um, I really consider myself a retired man these days, and this cropped up, and when it came to me, it was called Whitby Royal, which is on my doorstep. Yeah, of course. And I thought I can do this without getting out of bed. In actual fact, when I signed up and everything, they very soon dropped the Whitby and just left it with the Royal. And most of the shooting was done in a wing of a hospital in Bradford, but initially, it was a fact that it, was, it wasn't a bad part. Um, it was going to be very, very local to me. It didn't turn out that way. Is it actually not set in Whitby, then? Was it originally going to be set in Whitby? Uh, well, I suppose so. It was originally called Whitby Royal. You see, the point was that they were geared to do a spin-off from Heartbeat. Now, Heartbeat is in this area. Gotham <laughs> is, is what Aidenfield is. Yeah. And it's about two miles as the crow flies from here. They wanted a spin-off from that. They've set it in the same period, and they want it sort of in the same area. They've, they've taken Whitby off it. It's all, all the names are fictitious, but it's a little cottage hospital on the northeast coast of Yorkshire. Yeah. Is the hospital in Whitby called the Royal? No. I don't know what it's called now. It's, you know, it's all NHS and all that. It, it was a little cottage hospital itself, naturally. Yeah. But I don't think they'd, they'd ever have any intention of using that hospital. They just wanted a sort of coastal town. But that has been removed, and uh, we don't call it Whitby anymore. The exterior is in Scarborough, and anybody who lives in Scarborough will know perfectly well it's Scarborough. Set in the 60s. What are your memories of the 60s? Obviously, you were very, very busy working then, weren't you? Yes, I was. In fact, I, I've, I've got to continually go back. I lose count of dates, to be absolutely honest. I know that my fruitful film period started in 55 and went across to... Oh, 64, 65, that 10 years. And then I, I think that the Worcesters came up in the mid-60s. Mm. I suppose, yes, I was, I was pretty busy one way or another. Mm. What would you say has been the happiest period of your life and why? Well, I enjoyed my five years with the Bolting Brothers, mm. which was about 55 to 60, mm. uh, when I did movie after movie for them. And I got on terribly well with them. I found them very good fellows and good directors and all that. And uh, I'd worked very hard in the theatre up until then. I'd done bits and pieces in movies, certainly. But I was mainly occupied in the theatre. And the great thing in those days was really that there was order in in, in the film studios. And you worked a routine day from, Mm. let us say, 8.30 in the morning to quarter to six at night. And you had weekends off and bank holidays off, and it was a more ordered life. Certainly mm. I was very keen to get into movies, and suddenly this uh, private progress landed on my lap, which was mm. an absolute plum of a part. I was in 
front of the cameras every day for 10 weeks. Mm. Uh, and they sent me that, and they sent one called uh, Brothers-in-Law. Mm. Uh, and they both came together absolutely out of the blue, and they wanted me to do one after the other. And this was a great deal of security in a sort of media that I wanted to be in. And there were very good parts and, and all that. And, and, and there was a certain amount of, of leisure to it because of the weekends off, which you do not get in the theatre. So mm. I suppose I could say that the, my period with the Boltings was, was possibly the happiest. Mm. Because you've had such a long and distinguished career, do you find younger actors you work with are often in awe of you? I don't know if I could say in awe. <laughs> Some of them make very kind remarks uh, I see in print about uh, about me. Mm. But um, I, I'm surprised if they're in awe of me. I don't sort of look at my, myself like like that, really. Mm. I think the majority of them don't know who the hell I am or who, <laughs> what I've done. When you see them, do you remember how you felt when you were starting out working with some very distinguished actors which you did? Oh, yes, yes, certainly. Certainly I do. I tried to put actors that are just coming in for one day, for two days. I tried to put them at their ease and all that because it's, yeah. it's very... I mean, uh, that can still happen to you quite late in life. I did a... Well, I'm not going to mention names, but I, I, I did a, a, an episode of a series... It wasn't a successful series, really. There only were six of them. Mm. But I, I did that about three years ago. And there was quite a, a, a big name, a distinguished name. And I was only in for two days. And he hardly ever looked at me, you know, that sort mm. of thing. And um, I felt very much as if I was back at square one again. So I, one tries to make incomers comfortable. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned earlier that you consider yourself retired. Have you ever actually officially retired? Well, I, I sold up everything I had in London uh, in 1977 and moved back up here, which, in retrospect, was far too young to retire. Uh, I was 57 at the time. But I'd worked very, very hard all my life, and I didn't want to go on at that pace. Mm. Uh, I wanted to uh, relax and have more time to myself. And I thought that if I move up north, uh, the only thing it really sort of rules out is theatre. I mean, telly takes place all over the place these days, films do, so I could still go and do a bit of that. Mm. But I didn't want to put a permanent full stop by saying fully retired. I think mm. I possibly did on my income tax return, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, How does your wife feel about you working? Now? Yeah. I think she's ambivalent, really. I worked hard on the Royal. She's my second wife. My first wife died in yeah, 83. I know, yeah. I worked very hard this last year on the Royal... I was 82 then, or I'm still 82. I'm not 83 till next year, till mm -hmm. this year, in June. Mm -hmm. And I found I got very tired and very run down because it was the majority of the year we were at it. And I had to go over to Bradford all the time to film and this. Mm. And by the time we finished, which was in October, I said, I don't, don't want to do all that again. It's, it's, and she says that it affected my health very distinctly. Oh dear. And I've only really just coming out of it now. Mm. Have you turned a lot of roles down in recent years? Oh, yes. Why? Uh, why? Possibly because I didn't like the roles. I thought they weren't worth the candle. Mm. Uh, secondly, because I really possibly didn't want to go to Portugal or... Well, not Portugal, let's say, Bratislava or somewhere to do yeah. some work. I really didn't want to do that. But when I turned roles down, they are... You know, when you're in your 80s, you don't get great lead roles at all, anyway. And probably because I didn't want to be away from home, uh, possibly because 
I, I didn't like the parts. Uh, both those things, really, I think. To what extent do you think you've suffered from typecasting over the years? I did early on, and I think possibly a little bit still, but certainly early on I did. But I think I probably broke that mould when I did the uh, Whimsy series. Yeah. Have you ever regretted sort of being mainly renowned for playing upper-crust type of characters? I mean, Whimsy was definitely one of those. Well, no, not really, because I'm... Uh, you get cast for, for, for what you are in many ways. Hmm. And uh, no, I, I, I don't think so. I, I suppose I regret sometimes that I live in Yorkshire. I'm, I've, I've been a Yorkshireman all my life. And, uh, but I've never offered a Yorkshire role. Mm. I was given one on telev- uh, on radio about three years ago, but otherwise nobody would trust me with a dialect part. And yet John Mills, who was as upper crust as anybody, he was often doing things like Hobson's Choice and things. Yeah. So what, how have you maintained such a, a decent accent without uh, having lived in Yorkshire for so long? Well, I, I, I'm very glad uh, that you find that I have retained it. I mean, when I'm with locals, I'm up in the boozer or something like that, uh, I think I'm much more, much more Yorkshire. But Hull, where you were born, has produced quite a few distinguished people over the years. How do you explain that? Well, I can't, really. I, I, I mean, when I came out of Hull to go into this business, it was a, it was a derelict of, of, of actors and personalities. And then they all started to accumulate. Um, Brian Ricks followed. Mm. Then you got John Alderson. Then you got um, Tom Courtney. Um, a couple of comedians. Mm. Maureen Lippman. But Maureen Lippman, indeed, Maureen Lippman. Mm. But when I started, there weren't many. I think I was about the only one. When you were a child, did anyone tell you that you'd be a star one day? No. <laughs> no, no, they didn't. Uh, I don't know what they thought of me, but they just certainly didn't tell me that. <laughs> You've been quoted as saying that when you were a teenager, you wanted to be a film star. At that stage, did you seriously think you ever would be? Well, that's a difficult question. I suppose I still aspired to be. I think I remember when I was at school, somebody wrote a lyric about me, and they said... I, I used to do some amateur photography there, too. And mm-hmm. They said, um, we're not engaged in taking the motion pictures. He's either Noel Coward or Jack Payne. I, I rather wanted to be a band leader, mm-hmm. uh, very much. I'd love to have been a real good song-and-dance man like Jack Buchanan or Fred Astaire. But those parts and those parts of people were within my mould, except I wasn't as good a dancer. If you hadn't gone into show business at all, though, what do you think you'd have done? I suppose I would have gone into my family business in Hull, but I'd have been no good at it. I might possibly have liked to become an architect. I was quite good with a pencil, but that doesn't really make you an architect. But I, I, I can think of nothing else. I'm very bad at figures, so I don't think a businessman was really my line of country. When you went to RADA, were there any other stars in the making there? Were there any ones that became famous? Well, not as big and famous as you would like to say. Mm. I mean, Richard Attenborough followed me. We weren't there at the same time. In my term, there was a man called Hugh Griffiths, there was a man called Alan McNaughton. Alan died late last year. Mm. But they're not, they, were, they were good workaday actors. They weren't mm. big zonking stars. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think anybody came out of my... My period got very uh, truncated because the course was two years and I think after possibly the first term there, the war broke out and we had a, a period when everything was closed down. Then they decided to open up again but they truncated all the, the courses yeah. from two years to one year. And 
I think I did about a term and a half there. Did you ever fear that you may not survive the war? Yes, quite a lot. Did you have any hairy experiences during the war? Well, I, I did, but they don't make a terribly good story, Peter. That's uh, right. In, in the sort of beachhead a bit, I did, yes. But, yes, I, I, I was permanently worried whether I would come through. Yes, certainly. Mm -hmm. And after the war, how difficult was it to return to something as comparatively frivolous as show business? Quite difficult, except I had just started before the war. Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah. So uh, I had one connection, a man called Herbert Fargen, who did reviews at the Little Theatre in London. And he, I, I did a tour of one of his reviews, and I was called up on that tour in 1940. And he said, when you come out, come and see me, because I'm going to do some more reviews after the war, and I'd like to use you. Well, he unfortunately died of a tragic domestic accident during the war. So I didn't have him to come back to. So I really had no connection at all. I'd got to sort of start all over again, going to an agent and saying, can you get me some work? Hmm. But, I mean, war is such a mega-serious thing. Was it difficult to go into something as comparatively frivolous as show business? Do you see what I mean? No, I don't think so. I suppose I had one good piece of good fortune. I was at Rado with a man called Richard Stone. Right. Uh, he was about two terms senior to me, but we, we, we were there, although I never really quite knew him at the Rada. Now, I caught up with him in 40... <laughs> 45 in, in Germany, the, the fighting had finished there, V day had gone, and he was in charge of entertainments for a very, very large area of Germany, and he was forming a pool of artists, of service personnel, mm -hmm. and I went up to see him and give him an audition, and he said, don't I know you? And I said, yes, we were at RADA together. Good mm -hmm. God, he says, of course, come down here and talk to me. Well, very often me the job of his staff captain, so the last year in the services, I was running entertainments for the army oh. uh, in Germany. And I was, and, and Richard Stone was my commanding officer. Now, Richard Stone, after the war, quit acting and went in to become an agent. Yeah, a Richard Stone partnership, yeah. That's right. Mm. So I, I went to him, uh, and he kept me pretty busy doing right. little things here and there. He certainly did. And um, why do you think you successfully broke into a business in which so many fail? It, it's very difficult to say. Uh, I think I had a certain talent, uh, and I think it is being in the right place at the right time. But I think I had a flair for what I was doing, yeah. and I, fortunately other people thought the same thing. Mm. And to what extent do you feel your, you owe your certainly initial success to the Bolting brothers, do you think? Uh... No, that wasn't my initial success. Uh, I think I, I got a, a, an international name through the Bolting brothers because mm. of movies. Mm. But I was doing very well in the West End Theatre, and I was advancing there quite considerably, and I'd made a bit of a name for myself, by no means an above-the-title billing, but I made a bit of myself there, and people were wanting me. But when you were in the theatre, it was purely parochial, because it was the West End. Now, of course, theatre is largely touring as well. But... Um, the Boating Brothers gave me that extra fillip by getting me to movies. Therefore, I, I became a national name. Was there one moment in your early career when you realised you'd made it, as it were? I saw myself climbing the ladder slowly, and I was happy about that. But I suppose the, that moment would be when the Boating Brothers sent me those two films. 
when young actors become stars these days, they also seem to automatically become heartthrobs and pin-ups. Was that the case with you in your day? Well, I suppose a juvenile lead or whatever um, always hoped to have some physical characteristic that made him attractive, yeah. Mm. But were you sort of pursued by women and did you get loads of fan mail and so on in those days? Uh, oh, yes. I get, except my fan mail in the last ten years has been infinitely in, success of, uh, in excess of whatever it was then. Really? Because of Kavanaugh, all my movies have been shown all over the world. Yeah, yeah. So fan letters are coming in from Yugoslavia, from Germany, from France, from America, from Canada, because they're all catching up with old movies. Any memorable ones? No, not really. Did any of your female co-stars ever make you go weak at the knees? <laughs> well, I won't say weak at the knees, but I got on terribly well with Moira Lister. Yeah. And I liked working with her very much. And before her, Barbara Murray. In fact, I was going to do a second play with Barbara. I did The Tunnel of Love with her, and I was all set to do a next play with her. And she was pregnant and couldn't do it. And that's when Moira entered my life. I think if Barbara hadn't become pregnant, I might have stuck with Barbara for quite a number of them. You work with so many other distinguished actors. Mm -hmm. If I name a few, could you possibly give me any anecdotes about them? Well, I'll try. Terry but... Thomas? Uh, no, not really. Terry was, um, Terry was a sort of, um, <laughs> what can I put it? He was an extrovert, but um, I never really saw him outside the studios. We didn't mix together socially. Uh, I had a, a family, Hmm. and lived in one part of London. He hadn't a family and lived in another part. And um, we didn't mix socially, but he was a very entertaining gentleman. Hmm. And he had a very sad demise, didn't he? Very. Very sad indeed. When the boatings started him out on Paris Progress, they had a terrible job. I don't know how much you will remember of Terry when he was a variety artist, hmm. but he, 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 he didn't want to drop his cigarette holder. He always had this long cigarette holder. Hmm. Uh, and the clove carnation in his buttonhole, and that was his sort of, uh, well, trademark, as it were. And uh, they said, no, no, we, we don't want you to use your cigarette holder. It's nothing to do with this part. And they had a bit of a job to persuade him to put it down. What about Clark Gable? Oh, so brief. He was a very tacky turn gentleman. He was very efficient. He was very professional. He was always the first on the set every morning. He always knew his lines. But he was quiet and reserved, and I think because... He was such a very, very big star mm. that everybody wanted to talk to him, everybody wanted to touch him, everybody wanted his autograph. So he, he was apt to want to sit away quietly on his own. Did you get his autograph? I did. I don't know where it is now, but I did, yes. <laughs> How did you approach him? Well, I, I was working with him, and I, I asked him if he signed the book. Well, you have a book of... I, I used to collect the book and then give, to, to give to my daughter. Oh, that's lovely. Um, I don't know where it is now. But uh, he was very affable and very easy to do that. Alistair Sim never gave autographs at all. He refused to give them, which is a bit embarrassing. Well, you asked him and he said no. No, I didn't, but I saw a little on location. Children came up and asked him mm. for his autograph and he wouldn't give it. Well, that's a shame. Uh, Joyce Grenfell, what are your memories of her? Entertaining lady, very entertaining, charming, amusing. She was Joyce Grenfell. Mm. Peter Sellers? Well, Peter... Was I worked with Peter on... Um, I'm All Right, Jack. I'm All Right, Jack, yes. Now, that was his... I won't say it was his first big picture, but it was the first picture that he really made a mark in. It was a wonderful part. And John Bolting was an excellent director. 
they had a job with Peter, too. Peter didn't want to do it because he said there are no laughs in this part. Uh, but they persuaded him. Now, I found him a very amenable, very charming, very eccentric chap. Went to his house a number of evenings and that sort of thing. This was in his early days. Now, I'm led to believe that later on in life he became very difficult. Mm. Well, he certainly wasn't in those days because he was still at it, still be just beginning. I'm All Right, Jack, is, is one of many films you've done which have become classics in most people's opinions. Yeah. Were you aware at the time, my goodness, we are doing a fantastic, great film here? I don't think I thought it was a great film, necessarily, but I thought it was a jolly good one. And I thought John Bolting, who wrote the script as well as directed it, uh, really put his finger on the button. I, I think it was, uh, one realised this is going to do so well. I didn't realise they were going to be showing them, uh, you know, 50 years later. Which of your fellow actors and actresses have you become genuine friends with over the years? Well, <laughs> sadly they're dead. I was very friendly with Patrick Cargill. Oh, yes, I met him once. Uh-huh. I got his autograph, actually. Well, I did a, a play which ran for about a year at Her Majesty's Theatre called Say Who You Are with mm -hmm. Patrick. I got on terribly well in movies earlier than that with Richard Wattis. Those are two that uh, I, I was very fond of. I'm very fond of a lot of them, you know. Mm. But probably not. I was a very untheatrical man off stage in many ways. I had two young daughters, and I didn't want them to be brought up born in a trunk. Mm. Um, we lived our own life out in the country, and I used to bring him up here to Whitby. And they didn't go to a lot of parties with other actors, wives and daughters, mm. daughters and sons. They were kept rather apart from it. So just sort of socially, I probably had less very great friends. But people often say that your era was the golden era of cinema and theatre. What's your opinion? Well, I should say the golden era uh, was, was Hollywood in the 30s. Hollywood in the 30s and 40s. I would think it possibly was, but largely it was Hollywood, Hollywood, Hollywood. Were you ever asked to be in any of the Carry On films? I might have been, but I, I didn't do it. I didn't want to do Carry On. Why? It was much broader than I wanted to play. Oh, right. Did you ever turn down any major movie roles which went on to be big successes for other actors, for instance? <laughs> well, it's very difficult, you know. Uh, I think I turned down Scoop, which Alec Guinness did. Oh, yeah. I turned down a thing called The Comedy Man, which Kenneth Moore did. Mm. I turned down it was a Prisoner of War thing that Dirk Bogard did. I turned down a thing called Tommy the Toreador. It was called Matthew the Matador when it came to me. Right. And I turned it down, and it was turned into Tommy the Toreador, and Tommy <laughs> Steele did it. Uh -huh. I've been turned quite a few down. Any regrets there? I don't think so. I turned down a movie in Hollywood because I'd been working terribly, terribly hard, and I was exhausted. And I was determined that that year I was going to take a holiday. I hadn't had a holiday for God knows how long. And I thought, I'll go, and if anything crops up, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go on holiday. So a week before the family and I were all settled out for Villefranche in the south of France, I got a script from Hollywood, a leading role in a comedy, asking me to do that. Mm -hmm. The script wasn't complete, so I wasn't sure, but nothing was going to interrupt my holiday. So I used the excuse, no, 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 no. I've got to wait until I see the whole script. We went away, and the whole script came to me a week later uh, on the beach at Villefranche. And 
I still just wasn't sure about it. I was always told by the Boltings, never go to Hollywood unless you're absolutely certain what you've got to do is good and right and proper. And I was tired, and I, I, I turned it down. Well, Terry Thomas went and did it, yeah. uh, and never looked back. Once he got to Hollywood, he never looked back. The film itself, I think, hardly had a showing, called oh. Bachelor Flat or something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think that would necessarily have happened to me. Terry was a very eccentric type, very much the Englishman as they knew him, mm. um, slightly exaggerated. And anyway, I really did not want to go away and live in Hollywood. But from the 70s onwards, I, I hope I'm correct in saying your movie work appeared to be in less demand. Yes, that's quite true, it did. I, I mean, it started thinning off then. Yes. Was, it, was it difficult for you to accept that, having been so hugely in demand in the previous two decades? Well, you just had to accept it, really. I mean, the, the, the role started falling away for one reason or another. No, I just turned my hand to more to the theatre and, and that sort of thing, you know. Which of the films you did that are you most proud of? Well, I think the ones that I really enjoyed enormously were the first one, Privacy Progress. Mm. Then possibly Brothers-in-Law, because they let me get out of uniform. One of the ones that seems to have lasted for a very long time and everybody talks about is School for Scoundrel. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, um, well, no, it's very difficult to look back in retrospect on all these things. I think those two are the ones that... They were new, they were fresh, they were big leading parts a good director, and I was very happy there. Why do you think you were never even nominated for big awards like Oscars? I have no idea, Peter. No idea, man. Was it a big disappointment not to be? No, I don't think so. Um, they didn't, in those days, give Oscars away to people that did like comedy work. At, uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. You don't think the fact that you refused to move to Hollywood sort of disadvantaged you in that respect? Could be. Could be. I don't know. But, uh, you know, if you do a Hollywood film and it doesn't make money, they very soon drop you. Yeah, yeah. Well, they didn't with Terry because he was such a good eccentric. Hmm. And they, they wanted to keep him on. Hmm. But, I, uh, you know, I'm, they might never have seen me again. What is it about Yorkshire that's kept you there so long? Well, I was a Yorkshireman. I might still am a Yorkshireman. Mm. I was born in the uh, East Riding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sent to join my regiment in 1941 when they were stationed in Whitby. North Riding, fell in love with a girl who I married, fell in love with the countryside. It's naturally the place I wanted to come to. You've often been described as, as a light comedy actor. How happy are you with that description? Very happy. Yeah? Yeah. You're also often associated with portraying Bertie Wooster. How does he rank among your favourite characters you've played? Well, I didn't want to do Bertie in the first place because it was after the period where, where the roles had sort of dried up a bit. And I wanted to get away from the buffoon. Mm. And I thought the last thing I wanted to do was to go back to the 20s for the archetypal buffoon. And it was Michael Mills again. We'd just been doing a big show for off telly for Winston Churchill's 90th birthday. Mm. And uh, after finishing shooting one night, I met him in the bar and he said, look, I'm going to do a series of Bertie Worcester. Would you play Bertie? And I told him what I've just told you. He said, you're quite mm. wrong, you know, you're quite wrong. You should do it. So I said, well, it's academic because uh, I've got to go in 10 days' time. I'm leaving for New York. I've got a play to do in New York. And if the play is successful, I've got to stay there for a year. So Michael said, well, OK. But he said, I'll tell you what, I'll leave the part open for the very last moment. So let me know how things go. So we went to New York, and uh, fortunately, the play flopped. <laughs> and I cabled him and said... Um, play closes January the whatever 
returning to England straight away and we at your disposal, complete disposal. Mm. And that cable arrived on his desk at Broadcasting Centre the morning when he had a conference to decide who was going to play Bertie as I wasn't available. God. What did you think of Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry when they played Jeeves and Worcester? To be absolutely honest, I didn't watch it. Oh, now, you? that wasn't in any way for any... Re- I saw a bit of it. Mm. Um, I thought Stephen Fry was far too young to play Jeeves. Far too young. It looked to me like a couple of college boys enjoying themselves, which is what they were. <laughs> but I, I thought... Um, no, I thought Fry was far too young. Did you ever get to know P.G. Woodhouse? I didn't get to meet him, but I corresponded with him. And what was his opinion of your portrayal? I think he approved. Mm. <laughs> I think he approved. So how do you mean you corresponded with him? What, was that sort of work? Well, uh, I did a, 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 a feature article. Somebody covered me for, for one of the Sunday broadsheets. Yeah. And they spoke rather unfavourably in there, largely of Dennis Price. Mm. And they said that P.G. Woodhouse hadn't liked it, and uh, thought things were, I, I forget how you put it, but I know they didn't, he didn't like Jeeves and he thought I was too old and one thing or another. This drew an immediate letter from Woodhouse saying, I've never said anything like that in all my life. Mm. I do apologise, that's pure journalism, and I never said anything about that. And we kept in touch a little bit. He, he uh, asked me if I'd do uh, a musical he'd written for Bertie right. in London Town. I didn't think it was good enough. I didn't think it was vintage Woodhouse. Mm. And anyway, nobody did it. And I appreciate that Dorothy L. Sayers died long before you portrayed Lord Peter Whimsey, but did you ever meet her or wish to meet her? Oh, I'd like to have met her. I would like to have done, yes. Mm. Many of your old movies, as you said earlier, are played on TV from time to time now. How often do you watch them and how do you feel when you watch them? Largely, I've given up watching them. They're, they're, they repeat themselves so regularly. I, I know every blooming wink and move and shot. <laughs> no, I, I don't. If there's something that I have not seen for some considerable time, I might have a glance. Hmm. But no, otherwise I don't. But do you keep your work on video or DVD? Or yes, I keep it on video. And do you watch it much? or you just No, to the... it's really there for the archives and for yeah, my family. No, never repay it. Well, it only started keeping them when videos came out, which wasn't all that long ago. Yeah, true. Um, I had to wait till they were being shown on the telly and then I could record it, something like that. But do you have any press cuttings or memorabilia from your career? A few memorabilias. Um, I haven't got any press cuttings. I got behind on my press cutting book in 1953 and never got it kept up to date. What about the memorabilia? What memorabilia have you got? Well, I've got a, a chair in my house, uh, which I was used on the stage... Uh, in the Tunnel of Love, which was my chair in the Tunnel of Love. Hmm. I've got various first-night presents, maybe by leading ladies, maybe the producer, maybe that sort of thing. Hmm. I've quite a number of those around the house. May we know what your house is like? It's a farmhouse, stone farmhouse, about 150 years old. To what extent did you save wisely during your film and TV career? I think I saved pretty wisely. You see, I'm the worst of all possible words. I'm, I'm a Yorkshireman and I'm Scottish. Right. <laughs> um, so I was careful. always very, very careful. Mm. Very, very, some might say I got mean. I don't know, but I was very careful with money. I wasn't extravagant. How do you feel now about the amount of money offered to TV and film stars these days? Well, it's a bit of a shaker, but, I mean, everything has risen to zonky. I don't think so much about film stars as I do about footballers. 
They're the ones with the most astonishing sums of money. Mm. Yeah, but, but I mean, Travolta or something will get £8 million a movie, and it's just... Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy, I think, yes. It's crazy. But, I mean, I, uh, for Private's Progress, that was my first big movie, I got 2000 for oh. ten weeks' work. But everything's rocketed in life, you know. Do you still get repeat fees from some of your old movies from way back when? No. No, you get no repeat fees on movies. Really? Awful. I'd be very rich if I dealt that. <laughs> People often say that today's stars don't compare with those of yesteryear. What's your feeling? I think there's a strange attitude in them wanting to appear down at earth and plebeian, uh, whereas stars of the past were untouchable, and this gave them a certain magic and glamour. Mm. I'm talking about, back, not my year, way back in the 30s, you know, mm. Hollywood stars, Rolls Royces, mink coats, all that. Now this mixing with the populace and all that. But it's happened so frequently, because, of course, uh, telly is in everybody's sitting room, and if you're in a soap opera and you're in everybody's sitting room, I think you're a pal of theirs, mm. that sort of thing, you know. And the, these chums go on chat shows and things in bloody awful scruffy open-neck shirts and reefer jackets and things. I don't think that's the case. I think you should... At least appear respectably dressed. Are there any of today's stars that you rate? Wh which are you talking about? Which well, I... film stars. Film any, stars. any of today's film well, stars? Kane is very good. Of course, Kane is excellent. Michael Kane? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I don't go to the movies an awful lot. I'm not so sure about Jeremy Irons. Mm -hmm. In what way are you not so sure about him? Well, I, quite honestly, I, I haven't really seen much of him, so I, I couldn't comment on him. But, um, what about all the sort of sex and violence you get in TV these days and, and films? Does that dislike it enormously to such a degree that I very rarely watch television. Right. Is there anything on TV that you like watching? In the dr drama field, nothing I'm kept in for all the time, you know. Mm. Nothing I must see Holby City or I must see Casualty. Nothing that will keep me in. I'm surprised you haven't popped up in Monica the Glen. I thought that was your type of... <laughs> well, I did a series called Strath Blair, yes, which yes. wasn't successful. Right. It's fair to say, isn't it, you, you've always been something of a reluctant celebrity, isn't that right? I think so. Mm. Well, I think so, Peter, yes. You're quite a shy guy, would that be what it's about? I think there's a streak of that in me. I think there's a streak of that. Yes, I think so. Because it seems these days that celebrities think that the more they're seen out and about, that sort of helps their career. Yes, well, that's quite, that's quite true. Um, I should do more now, but, I mean, I'm at the end of my career. I'm not, I've got nothing to, uh, to go ahead for. I, I probably had a different attitude in uh, my younger days, in my 30s and 40s. I'd, and I lived in London, so I got invited to a lot of premieres and that sort of thing, and I would turn up there and, and dinners at the... Um, big hotels, one sort and another, award dinners. Yes, I was always uh, turning out for those. Uh, but now I live a long way away, and um, I don't. Many actors with less distinguished careers have been given honours, even knighthoods. What, do you think you've been overlooked? <laughs> well, that's a very personal question. Uh, maybe. Would you like to have been a lord like Peter Whimsey, for instance? Uh, oh, I'd love to have been a lord like Peter Whimsey, yes. Very stinking rich and all that. I'd love to have been that. <laughs> Um, Do you feel hurt, though, that you haven't been recognised in that way? Well, I don't know. This year I've had two sort of accolades. I got to, uh, an award that the Yorkshire um, businessmen give. The Yorkshire Awards. It's been going now for several years. Right. Um, for lifetime achievement, that oh, one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And then, um, what, a fortnight ago, they did a whole retrospective of my films at the National Film Theatre. Yeah, yeah. And I went down and did a sort of on-stage interview on that. So I've had a certain amount of acknowledgement, yes. Well, didn't you think, when they did that, didn't you think, about time too? Because I certainly did. <laughs> well, maybe uh, you can't ask me that sort of question. No, no. <laughs> Modesty forbids you. Have, you. have you ever met any of the royal family, by the way? Do you have any memories? Most of, of them. Yeah? At one time or another. Any nice stories about them? I don't think so. I don't think so, really, no. For all your success career-wise, you obviously, as you said, they suffered the sad loss of your first wife. To what extent do you feel your life has been one of great highs and great lows? I think there are more highs than lows. I think there are more highs than lows. Hmm. And, I mean, as far as career is concerned, it's been a sort of gradual rise until I wanted to terminate it, really. What what would you say has been the secret of your happy marriages, particularly in a business famed for marital failures, basically? Two wonderful women. (laughs) Right. Good answer. Yes. So what extent was your present wife a fan of yours before you met? My present wife employed me. That's how we met. I suppose she thought I would... Were you a fan of mine, Kate, before you... Absolutely, she said. (laughs) To what extent was having a much younger wife kept you young? Well, it certainly has. Mm. Yes, it certainly has. And now, in old age, she cherishes me and looks after me very well. You've always looked a great deal younger than you actually are. What's your secret in that respect? I think it is good luck, but it is is extremely good fortune. Mm. It is extremely good fortune. It has been like that all my life. I mean, I was far too old, really, to play Bertie Wooster. Mm. And I was really too old to play Peter Whimsey. I have been very, very lucky. I've kept my hair, I've kept my figure, and I've just been extremely fortunate. How do you fill your days these days, when you're not working? Well, up until this year, I have got a garden to look after. I've got two daughters live down south that I go and see periodically. I enjoy walking around here. What are your daughters up to? They're not followed you into show business. Well, no, one's a mother, housewife, grandmother. The other one is a makeup artist. All right. Well, the younger one, who's a makeup artist, is called Sally, mm-hmm. and the other one's called Lee, L-double-E. Will you ever write a second volume of your autobiography? No, I won't, because I sort of retired, as it were, the moment I finished that first book. Mm. I, I have very little work to talk about, because I haven't done a lot. Mm. Therefore, you don't, uh, you know, there's not many stories that people want to, to talk about. You, you can't make a... A book out of saying I went down to Tesco's this morning to do some <laughs> shopping. So that's really why I haven't. But your wife's a successful writer. Has she offered to write a book for you or about you? No, she hasn't. <laughs> She's just got a new one out called Picking Up. Right. Which is now on the bookstalls. Excellent. Give her a plug. I Picking Up, will. published by Hodder. How satisfied are you with your career and your life? I must say I, I'm very satisfied. I've got to say that. I have been very fortunate. I've I've steadily mounted the ladder as well. I have not really ever had great troughs that have been permanent marks, Hmm. not been detrimental, you know. There are many ones that I can get over. Hmm. I'm talking professionally. That's right, yeah. So what do you want to achieve with the rest of your days? Happiness, peaceful rest. I've no desire to turn back to work. I'd like them to consider that I was an actor of achievement, really. 
as you say, I haven't been marked with any great awards, so I would just like them to remember me as um, an actor of great achievement and somebody who entertained them.